Hello and welcome. I'm Bruce Spinowitz. Uh, on behalf of CME Outfitters, I would like to welcome you and thank you for joining us for today's CMEO briefcase entitled Utilizing Shared Decision-Making to Optimize Therapy for Anemia in Chronic Kidney Disease. This program is supported by an independent medical educational grant from GSK. I'm the Associate Director of Nephrology and Vice Chairman of Medicine at New York Presbyterian Queens and Professor of Clinical Medicine at Weill Cornell Medical College. Our learning objective for today is to in, uh, integrate shared decision-making principles to ensure that patients' needs and preferences are aligned with respect to anemia and CKD treatment plans. Let's begin by taking a look at uh, a patient case I think is representative of a patient who we, I certainly often see. Uh, this is Mario. He's a 66-year-old Hispanic male with end-stage renal disease. He is on dialysis three times per week, and he presents for his office visit, a routine visit, to discuss the scope of his care. His past medical history is typical, very typical of a dialysis patient in that he has hypertension, has cardiac disease with congestive heart failure, he's a type 2 diabetic, and of course, as we frequently encounter, he experiences anemia associated with this end-stage renal disease. He is Spanish-speaking, uh, relatively low health literacy and he lives in a lower socio socioeconomic area of the town. And he, of course, like many dialysis patients, is on numerous medications, uh, but he really doesn't have a complete understanding of the purpose of these medications, what they are doing for him, their benefits, as well as their potential side effects. Uh, and that certainly has an impact on his compliance, and we see this all the time. Not only is there a large pill burden, uh, but there's a lack of understanding on the part of many of the patients as to the purpose of these medications. His lab, some of his lab uh, data at this particular interaction reveal that his hemoglobin is relatively low for a goal, 8.4 grams per deciliter. His iron is deficient, as you see, serum iron is low, iron binding capacity and transfer are high, leaving him with a saturation of 7% which is a level that certainly we would all agree is below a goal. And his ferritin, unlike many, many dialysis patients, is also quite low, indicating a, sig a significant degree of iron deficiency. So let's take a look at how the notion of shared decision-making uh, impacts um, patients' well-being, their care, and their outcomes. Uh, shared decision-making really is a team-based approach and it must utilize not only the skills of the physicians um, but the patients must have a clear understanding of their uh, conditions their choices their medications what is being done to them and very often it involves the patient's caregivers we're used to in the dialysis setting dealing with older individuals who clearly uh, are dependent on family as caregivers, and they must be included in this shared decision-making process, as we'll discuss. 
And the end result is that the patient will have a greater satisfaction with the choices that they make. Um, there's this notion uh, saying of no decision about me without me. And I think that sort of sums up what we're headed for, what we're, uh, what the objective is with shared decision-making. Um, but it's not a one-time event. It's, it's an active and an iterative process. That is to say it's ongoing. Um, these patients constantly have a change in their, in their status, very often hospitalized, very often have changes in medication. So this is certainly not a one-time event. And the setting in which dialysis occur, occurs certainly leaves the capability for this to be an ongoing process. Um, and it encompasses uh, educational components that have to have a certain uh, number of characteristics. They must be easy to understand. Uh, we're dealing with patients, even if there is a higher degree of literacy, their medical literacy is still relatively limited. So the way that we present uh, information must be in an easily understandable uh, uh, fashion. Uh, it must be high quality. Uh, it must not express uh, or convey our biases uh, um, or, or anything approaching um, uh, a preconceived uh, notion of decision. Um, the data must be up to date. Um, and it certainly should be targeted for the audience, the patient and their caregivers with respect to its um, uh, language, the ease of understanding, uh, their educational level, and uh, a certain sensitivity to their cultural needs of uh, those individuals. So that summarizes the shared decision-making uh, notion. Um, there was an interesting study that looked at um, uh, a significant number of patients um, uh, from four different uh, uh, locales um, in terms of the need for patient education surrounding, in this case, anemia. Um, and of these patients, uh, some 60% of them had anemia. Uh, and despite that, you can see that 30% uh, of them were not aware of the relationship between anemia and CKD, even though they were anemic CKD patients. Um, slightly in excess of 50% were not aware of their uh, hemoglobin level, even though they were anemic. Um, and many of them, as shown, 50% were not aware of the treatment options for anemia and CKD. So clearly, um, there this is an area that uh, needs improvement. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a common problem, um, and it really should be addressed uh, in the manner that um, we will explore. Um, KDGO uh, has some very specific uh, recommendations as to how one should go about patient education. And it really uh, it, it involves essentially, optimally, uh, an interdisciplinary um, core clinic approach. Um, outlined um, are a number of the areas uh, that require um, education, and it should happen with a team approach, with an understanding of, again, uh, the social construct from which these patients come. Uh, and this would include um, starting at the very moment with discussions of dialysis modalities, the treatment options uh, in center, 
home forms of, of therapy. Um, and that should optimally, particularly since many of these patients are of an older age, um, alternative conservative care, um, which has been shown uh, to certainly play a role with the older individual taking into account longevity as well as quality of life. But those treatment op options must, must be uh, all considered. Um, the dietary components uh, are, are critical. Uh, the dietitian uh, must be brought into this educational process. Um, as we alluded to earlier, medications and, and the adherence require an understanding of the, uh, the purpose of the medications, their uh, benefits, um, their side effect profile. And in this case, obviously, the pharmacist should be brought into this interdisciplinary care clinic. Um, dialysis modalities should be discussed. They can be discussed by the physician. And it's very important that the nurses who would ultimately be the deliverer of care or the patient care techs be involved in this educational process. Um, for the appropriate patient, a transplant coordination, and there should be transplant coordinators that facilitate that process. It's a very um, intensive uh, process that requires a lot on the part of the patient to ready them for transplant. Uh, and again, you need a physician extenders to as assist with that. Uh, and then advanced care planning should be a part of that. Uh, our um, palliative care uh, team can be brought in for either advice and or interaction with patients in discussing um, uh, this approach. So really, it is a, is a, is, it's an interdisciplinary uh, team that is best suited. Uh, this requires effort to create, to sustain, um, but it has been shown to be very effective when implemented. Uh, the benefits of the shared decision-making um, uh, have been shown to be quite clear. Uh, ultimately, they can reduce mortality. Uh, they can increase the decision for home dialysis selection. Uh, they certainly can reduce the use of catheters for delivery of uh, dialysis. And one study took a look at shared decision-making Q9 scores. And this represents nine key questions that are can be asked of patients to assess how effectively uh, they have an understanding and appreciation of what it is that they're uh, experiencing uh, and uh, where their physicians fit into their care. Um, the questions, just to give some examples, um, are did you and your physician select a treatment option together? Um, did you thoroughly weigh with your physician the various treatment options? Um, that, did you reach an agreement on how you would proceed uh, with your treatment decision? Um, which treatment option uh, was asked of you to see if you prefer one versus the other? Did your physician reach out and, and actually give that choice after explaining uh, the treatment options? Uh, did you have a full explanation of the advantages and disadvantages of the treatment options? Um, was it made clear that a decision uh, that was uh, collaborative with you and your physician needed to be made? Um, did the physician help understand all the information involved? And a number of other questions. And unfortunately, in one particular study, um, 
with respect to many of those questions, um, fewer than 50% of the patients uh, answered in the affirmative. And clearly there's a need therefore to um, re-energize this notion of shared decision-making. Um, so what are the types of questions or issues that should be uh, made clear with the patient when you're discussing not only initiation of dialysis, but various aspects of their care? Um, there should be a, a clear understanding of what clearance is. It's something that we deal with every day. We talk about clearance. Does the patient truly understand what clearance represents in terms of its impact on their well-being? Um, how does dialysis accomplish that? Um, and certainly an understanding of why once dialysis is started, why they have to continue um, their dialytic care. Um, many lab tests are drawn. Patients know that they have blood drawn for various evaluations, certainly at a monthly interval, sometimes more frequently, specifically with respect to anemia. And they should understand the timing of those labs. Why are we doing labs at those particular intervals? When we get an extra lab in the middle of the month, why are we doing that? What do those lab tests mean? There's an array of tests that are done and those should be discussed with the patients. Uh, particularly in the areas where there are things that they can do in terms of nutritional compliance, medication compliance. Uh, the more they understand about that laboratory data, the more likely they are to um, have a sense of satisfaction with what they're doing uh, and to actually comply um, with, the, with those needs. And with respect to anemia, they have to understand the relationship between their chronic renal disease and the anemia, why it is so common, uh, the interaction of um, uh, the medications that we give them to treat anemia and the iron component. There really should be a general understanding of the process of red cell production. And the more they understand about that, the more they can appreciate what we are doing uh, to them, for them, and what they can do for themselves to, to improve that situation. Um, they should understand the adverse event, pro, adverse event profile, certainly of these medications and why we may be giving them uh, and the balance of those pros versus cons of any given medication. Um, the sheer decision-making is really about forming a relationship and the relationships really um, are at a, uh, a physician level, if you will, and um, at, on a broader social level. And the elements that figure into that is um, the trust that you can build with your patient by sharing uh, information in an appropriate, understandable, and compassionate way so that they develop and feel better about the relationship that they have with you. And also, it really uh, engenders a certain uh, competence in the physician's care. The more you explain to them and they understand, the more they sense uh, your, your competence. And so really the time spent explaining things to them really will forge that relationship that they have with you and their perception of you. And therefore, it's certainly easier for them to uh, comply uh, um, and, and have a better sense of well-being about what is being done for them to them. Um, and then there are societal uh, impacts, um, and, and this relates to 
the health inf inf information that they receive from friends and families. Um, and it, there must be an appreciation that uh, those are very often trusted sources. Uh, sometimes they may be inaccurate. You have to be sensitized to that. Um, and when you when they do verbalize that, um, you have to deal with it. Um, if, 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 if there's some misunderstanding, uh, that should be clarified. Uh, if that misunderstanding is coming from a close caregiver, then that caregiver too should be brought into the educational uh, process. Uh, and just understand that they receive health information from many resources, some of which are reliable. Um, uh, the more you discuss that with the patient, the more you have an appreciation for the sources that they're using, and the more likely you are to be able to deal with um, both the accuracies and the inaccuracies of that information. So this shared decision process is, is, is a process that can be broken down into a number of uh, areas um, uh, that break down maybe somewhat artificial, they may cross one another, but they're basically um, certainly initially uh, a discussion of choices, alternatives, that's an education process. It can be um, delivered certainly one-to-one -one or one to uh, the patient along with caregivers. Uh, and that is an educational process, uh, but that's just a start. Uh, then there must be an appreciation that the patient truly understands the information that you've given to them. They must appreciate that what you're really doing is talking to them about options. Uh, very often in medicine, we, we appreciate the fact that there is often no one answer, uh, but the patient has to understand that. The patient very often comes with uh, a notion that you will tell them what to do. Um, that, that ultimately, while it may seem a little easier, uh, that is not the right approach. Um, the best way to deal with patients is to uh, educate them about choices, uh, give them all the information, let them think about that, um, and then clearly uh, make them understand um, that there's got to be then a discussion about the options. We'll probe their understanding of what you have told them. Uh, make sure that they understand that there are alternatives, that there are pros and cons, that we don't have all the answers. And then ultimately, um, there is the decision part of the conversation um, where it's a joint uh, process um, by which you have shared your knowledge, you've provided it to the patient. They understand that they are truly part of the decision process for making uh, their, their, their choices. Um, they have to engage with you. There has to be back and forth conversation. Uh, and that has to be done in an appropriate environment um, that facilitates this. Um, and it must be, of course, delivered to them in a manner that understands um, their socioeconomics um, and uh, their background understanding of, of the decisions that they will be sharing in. Um, applying uh, this model to a number of areas, particularly anemia, as we're discussing, there should be a, a discussion surrounding uh, dosing intervals, the amount of, uh, uh, of medication that would be given, uh, the adequacy of that, um, the ease of administration. Uh, now that um, we will be having options, uh, there is an oral option. 
uh, not just a, um, uh, a parenteral uh, injectable option. Where these drugs will be administered, uh, for many of these patients, uh, it's home administration. Uh, that should figure into the discussion. What are the goals of the treatment of anemia? Uh, there should be realistic goals, not only in terms of the patient's um, sense of well-being, energy, but uh, uh, what hemoglobin goals um, we are uh, looking to achieve and why those goals have been set. Um, there's a large amount of information that we as physicians, we as nephrologists have, and we have to impart, we have to share that information with the patient so that they have a better understanding of where we're headed uh, and why we make adjustments uh, to, to the uh, medications that we give for, for anemia. Um, they obviously, there should be an, a, an open discussion of not only the benefits of these therapies, uh, but the risks that are involved. And the risks are well known to us, but they should be shared with the patient. Um, there may be some um, impacts of their underlying comorbidities in terms of how we will decide which form of therapy, um, and those should be discussed. Um, and this um, uh, approach can also be used for choice of the dialytic uh, modality. Um, again, these are very um, relevant questions and important for the patient to understand the, the dosing and the frequency of dialysis, um, where it will be delivered, how it will be delivered, the ease involved, what are the goals of treatments that can be accomplished, accomplished with home, for example, versus incentive treatment, the risks and the benefits inherent in that. Um, certain comorbidities may impact the choice of that particular modality. And certainly the social issues um, both um, ethnic uh, as well as uh, support uh, uh, available to patients should be considered in terms of the choice of the modality of dialysis. So that shared uh, management decision um, is impacts uh, many of the areas that we deal with on, on, a, on a frequent basis um, in the end-stage patient. Some of the factors that improve uh, this shared decision-making is certainly appreciation of um, language concordance. Uh, clearly, we deal with uh, various uh, degrees of literacy uh, and language variation. Towards that extent, staff diversity uh, is, is one, one solution for that variability. Uh, the notion of cultural humility, that is to say to understand uh, the different um, cultural uh, needs and norms of our varied population of, of patients. Um, and that takes an effort on our part to understand that. Um, and it actually also flows from a staff diversity, listening uh, to the uh, cultural norms of our staff who come from um, various uh, um, ethnic, racial, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds is a, is a, is a very important understanding. Um, and although we, it's hard to acknowledge, we should be aware and think about the inherent biases uh, that we have uh, that have been a, been a consequence of, of our environment um, and, and try to combat those biases as we interact with the patients um, and have a full understanding of the social determinants of, of, uh, of, of healthcare. Um, 
So the goal should be to improve health literacy, to improve trust, uh, ultimately to improve patient satisfaction. Um, this will lead to fewer medical misunderstandings and medical errors. Uh, the patient understands what it is that we want to accomplish and we understand uh, some of the uh, inherent problems that they may be encountering uh, in accomplishing uh, those mutual uh, agreed upon goals. Um, it will increase their understanding of the Ill, their illness and where we head with our treatment plan and ultimately it would lead to a better adherence uh, to, to, those to that treatment plan. Um, an important component of this approach is really the interaction between the nephrologist and indeed all specialists, particularly the nephrologist and the primary care uh, physicians. Um, and this, this really starts at an earlier stage of CKD. Um, and we certainly, as nephrologists, often have a feeling that the primary care physician makes a referral for our care too late. Sometimes that's too late to even slow the progression of the disease. Um, and it's often too late um, to avoid some of the pitfalls of renal replacement therapy, namely the ability to educate, the ability to have the patient involved in that shared decision-making process uh, to consider the alternatives. That's very difficult when the patient is referred at a very late stage uh, in, in their um, progression of chronic kidney disease. And it's even more so now that uh, over the last year or so, um, we've had so many therapeutic tools that have been given to us to slow progression, uh, many of which should be started at a much earlier stage. Um, and I believe in my ex personal experience um, is, is that the primary care physician initially needs to understand um, and appreciate that early referral does not mean losing care of that patient, that we really are looking truly for a collaborative, re collaborative relationship with the primary care physician. Um, personally, I would uh, very much appreciate seeing a patient earlier on in their chronic kidney disease, um, uh, embark upon a therapeutic plan in cooperation with the primary care physician and try to make sure that the patient sees the patient, that the physician, um, primary care physician, uh, sees the patient at an interval that's appropriate. Uh, and then I see the patient uh, perhaps in between his visits so that the patient is being seen um, often enough by two physicians that are really both working towards the same goal, and that is to slow progression of disease, um, hopefully avoid the need for renal replacement uh, therapy. Um, and in the process, um, the primary care physician uh, gets educated about these newer therapies. Uh, but we also have to have outreach. Uh, in our communities, we've got to speak to groups of primary care physicians to make them understand the importance of early recognition of disease, not only with blood tests, but urine tests, looking for proteinuria, the importance of those two um, aspects in terms of uh, determining prognosis for, for the patient, but also making them understand that the newer therapies truly can have an impact on the course of the disease. And we have to keep working at that. And it should be done at the level of the individual patient care. That is to say, when we interact with one of their patients, there should be 
collaboration. They should understand what we're doing. And that understanding is really an educational process and it can, it can occur at an individual level with the patient at the center, as well as at a community level with outreach. And I think we should commit ourselves to taking that approach. The outcomes uh, have been shown. Any number of studies have shown that early referral to the nephrologist, um, and although it says versus primary care, um, uh, it really should not be one or the other. It should be collaborative. But the end results in terms of blood pressure control with its impact on slowing EGFR decline, the newer therapies um, that um, are additive uh, and do have significant benefits, but the risks must be appreciated. And the primary care physician has to be aware of what those are so that they can be dealt with and anticipated. Um, uh, it certainly led to, in the past, higher use of RAS inhibitors, which are so critical for slowing progression. Um, and uh, my expectation is now with these newer medications that have been added to our armamentarium, that early referral to, to the nephrologist will have an end result in the enhanced use of those um, uh, medications, namely the SGLT2 inhibitors and the mineral, mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists. Uh, so we would, we would look for and expect to see a higher utilization of those medications, similar to what we have seen um, with RAS use when there is early referral. And certainly the avoidance, avoidance of certain medications that um, can um, have adverse outcomes and understanding of what those medications are. And in particular, um, uh, just as an index case, uh, the decreased use of non-steroidal um, in patients with chronic kidney disease. So improving our collaboration with primary care uh, physicians and nephrology, it, it helps the primary care physician identify who those patients are. Um, they must do those tests uh, that will identify these patients, particularly in the diabetic population, the hypertensive population, these patients are in the hands of the primary care physician. And so their understanding of the importance of what are the prognostic indicators for progression um, will identify the CKD patients who need our care. Um, um, we have to invest in coordination with the primary care physicians. It's not just a letter, sometimes it's a phone call. And as I said, outreach to the community of the primary care physician through educational uh, um, uh, modalities will help them realize the importance of recognition of these conditions in their patients uh, and um, the benefits of the collaborative process. So turning back uh, briefly to our uh, patient case, um, Mario again was 66 year old with end-stage renal disease. He's a, of Hispanic origin, dialyzing three times a week. Here is the opportunity that you have one-on-one -on -one with this patient to really have, uh, have an, make an effort to having them appreciate their underlying disease, the consequence of that disease, how we are doing things, namely dialyzing and trying to treat some of the side effects, uh, the importance of making them understand uh, the uh, benefits of these medications, both pros and cons of the medications, so the aware of, of the potential uh, side effects. Uh, and also the notion of so many medications that they are taking, um, there's a tendency to just 
you know, say this is too many medications, I can't do it, I'm not doing it, uh, and their compliance uh, uh, really falls off. So really, you have to deal with each medication on its own, making them understand the whys and the wherefores of the, those medications. And that will clearly lead to um, compliance with not only the medication aspect of their care, but the actual treatment, the dialytic treatment, um, having them understand what clearance is, why um, uh, dialysis has to be an, an ongoing uh, process, and clearly improve uh, compliance just with the basics of uh, dialysis adherence. Um, and also, it's very important to have these patients continue to have their interaction with their primary care physician. Um, yes, they're in a dialysis center um, three times a week. There is a tendency for them to um, therefore lose contact with their primary care physician. It's important to emphasize the importance of that relationship, that it be maintained. Um, and that means giving feedback to the primary care physician. And it's certainly important in the home patient who's not seen as frequently. Uh, and there's the potential for issues to sort of fall through the cracks, if you will. So encouraging and allowing uh, and participating in that ongoing relationship that the dialysis patient has with their primary care physician um, is, is of utmost importance. So um, to sort of summarize um, what, we've, um, what we've been reviewing over this uh, last half hour or so uh, are SMART goals. Uh, and SMART goals in, imply being specific, have them measurable, have them attainable, have them relevant to the patient, and certainly accomplish them at a, uh, in a timely fashion. And defining shared decision-making uh, is important with respect to general care of the uh, CKD patient, on or off dialysis, and, and certainly uh, with respect to aspects of anemia, which are, is a central uh, feature of, of their condition and their care. Um, utilize the shared decision-making strategies that we've discussed to empower the patients uh, and certainly incorporate communication strategies between the primary care physician uh, and um, the patient uh, and yourself. Um, so thank you to the audience for attending this program. Uh, we hope that you've learned a lot. Um, I think I've summarized what we've discussed, and that is basically that I hope you will take away from this presentation um, and the um, resolve to apply these concepts to your practice define shared decision-making uh, and its applicability to your patients with anemia and uh, their chronic disease. Um, utilize shared decision-making strategies to empower the patients with anemia and chronic kidney disease to, more act to be more actively involved in their treatment decisions and incorporate strategies between the primary care physician and the nephrologist uh, to improve the quality of care for patients. Um, today's CMEO briefcase is part of a three-part series of case-based activities. I'll ho I hope you'll check out the other two activities in this series. Uh, and thank you to our audience for joining us. Uh, to receive CME credit for this activity, participants must complete the post-test and evaluation online. Uh, participants will be able to download and print their certificate immediately upon completion. Be safe and take care of yourselves so that you can provide 
the best care for your patients. Thank you.